Uh, welcome this morning. My name is Jeff. I'm pastor here at Partnership Christian Church. And if you're uh, visiting with us, we want to welcome you and, and let you know that in the, in the bulletin, there is a, a little sheet of paper that is blank on one side, has prayer requests on the other. Uh, for all you guys that are so accustomed to the same old, same old, this might blow your mind because the prayer requests are no longer on the back of the, the bulletin, but now they're on the back of the sermon notes. Uh, and those sermon notes are just exactly whatever it is that you write on that page. So uh, as the Lord speaks to you, as, he, um, as His Spirit uh, continues to reveal things to each one of you, I pray that, that you actually write down what is important for you, what you'd like to, to recollect. Take that away with you. On the back of that, those sermon notes are prayer requests for our church family, uh, which is a, another good way to take that away. Continue to pray for, for the needs of the church, individuals in the church, uh, things that are, that are going on, th- people that are, that are suffering, that are ill, that are sick, that really could use our prayers. So as I mentioned, uh, this is a, a really ex- exciting time, uh, exciting season as we get started with the, uh, with the first Sunday in December because uh, th- this is when the, the, the uh, Christmas messages, the Christmas series always takes off. And um, this is actually, this particular series has actually been on my mind and on my heart for, for a long time. And actually, um, I, had, I had written a portion of this series for the church that we had planted in New Zealand. And I didn't get to preach it there because we ended up having to leave before Christmas uh, of 20. Whatever, whatever, when I wrote it. But I handed that off. Yeah, whatever, I don't remember. I don't know what, what year it was. Um, but I handed that off to the, to the pastor that, uh, that took my place and the, and the leadership team that took our place there at the Vine. And, and he preached it. And he added his own um, bits and pieces to it, which I thought you know, was, was perfect. So it was a, kind of a, a way that we were able to transition a little bit where I could help him with a few things and he could add his own flavor to it. But this is the first time that I've been able to, to present this. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually really excited because I feel like God has has um, revealed something to us and something that we consider to be minute, a minute detail often in the Christmas story. Now, how many of you are familiar with the Christmas story? Oh, my. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about Santa Claus. I'm talking about the Christmas story in the Bible. I'm talking about Jesus, okay? It's always funny because I, always, I, always, I love it whenever you hear these things. I remember the reason for the season. I'm like, there's only... Why would you even have to say that? There's, there's just... You know, Christmas. Does anybody really know what Christmas means? The word Christmas. So the the M A S Mass comes from the same term that the Catholics use in Mass, which means the embodiment, the embodiment, and they they centralize their worship around taking of communion of the Lord's Supper. So Christ, Christ Mass. So the Christ embodied, and that's what Christmas. Means. That's what the word actually means. The embodiment of Christ. The, the putting on of flesh of God our Father coming to be with us. God with us. Now in the midst of the Christmas story, in the midst of the, uh, the, the birth narrative of Jesus, we get these different scenes that, that come to play as we're reading through um, in several of the Gospels. And we kind of piecemeal this thing together into a full-on Christmas message. And thank you guys for, for doing the slides because I completely forgot the clicker. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm at your, your mercy back there. 
And um, one of the scenes that we, that we kind of glaze over sometimes, there's a few songs written about, not near as much about the uh, songs written about the shepherds, or about the magi, or the wise men. And um, I feel like the wise men, they kind of get the short end of the deal a lot of times, because everybody always talks about the shepherds. The magi really don't get a whole lot of airtime. And what even gets even less airtime is what the Magi were there to do. And that was that they came to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and and bring him gifts. And as I started reading this um, one year, I started recognizing that, you know, there's got to be some significance to maybe this particular story that may be beyond the glazing over that we often do with the Magi. And I want to start by reading uh, Matthew's account of the Magi visiting Jesus there after he was born. And this comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And it states this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. They were saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When the king Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search carefully for the child and when you find him, report back to me so that I can too go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Now, there are about 75 different sermons that can come out of this one piece of Scripture. And the one that I have uh, felt like God has placed on my heart is probably the 76th one. Um, There's a lot to really unpack in the understanding of the Magi visiting Jesus. Well, first first is to understand what the Magi were. Some uh, translations call them wise men. Some call them magi. Magi was short for the word that would have come out of a, um, a term that magician. And this, the reason that it was, it is not the kind of the, the magic like poof, hocus pocus type of magician, but someone that was, uh, these were men that were constantly looking into the stars. They were astrologers. They were looking into the stars, they were reading futures, they were reading possible events that were going to happen, and they recognized this event uh, in the stars that had happened the night that Jesus was born, the star that had appeared. So the, these, these magi, they were called wise men because, <clears throat> first of all, they were learned, they were uh, very well educated, they were uh, men of science, but because of their... Um, 
Because of their status in their home country, they would have been in a very high place in the government. They were likely even sat on king's courts to advise other kings of the countries that they came from. And they were likely sent from other governments, from other kings, to go and find Jesus Christ. Now as they come and they find Jesus Christ, we recognize in the text that it says they find Jesus in a house... So uh, Jesus is no longer in a stable, he's no longer in a barn, he's no longer lying in a manger, he's living in a house uh, with his parents. So we get the idea that it took a little bit of time for the, uh, for the magi, for the wise men to actually find Jesus. Exactly how much time, we're not too sure, but we do know that the term that was used in the scripture that they found a child and not an infant goes to show us that it probably, he was probably one or two years old at that stage. And here's another thing that's really ironic is this star. Now, the star appeared whenever Jesus was born. And, of course, with the, the, the story of the, uh, of the shepherds going to visit Jesus the night that Jesus was born. Now, the star didn't stay up there for one or two years. It was only there for the night that Jesus was born. And these astrologers, these wise men, had, had remembered, had, had written, you know, charted out where the star was. They had gone to Jerusalem and then something amazing happens. Whenever they go and turn to find Jesus in Bethlehem, the star reappears. Now, for those of you who are always trying to find scientific uh, explanations for things in Scripture, this might throw you for a loop. I'm not one of those people. I believe that God does what God does because He's sovereign, He's all-powerful, and He can do whatever He wants. And if He can make a star appear twice, then He surely will. Some people will try to say, well, the star of, of, of Bethlehem was one where the, all the planets just happened to perfectly line up that one particular time in history. Well, I guarantee you they didn't do it twice in a row within a year and a half of each other. So the star appears and these magi, these wise men, they go and find, they go to find Jesus. And they're looking, they're looking for this child that was born a king. There's significance in that as well. That's because King Herod had considered himself to be king of the Jews. See, King Herod was half Jew. And he thought that he had the right, uh, the right to actually keep himself on the throne. And for a magi to come before King Herod and to say, now there's a king that's been born king in this region, Herod's knees start knocking. And he's going, you know what, somebody's about to usurp my throne. Because not only is this, person, is this man going to be a king, but he was born in a specific lineage that makes him king from birth, not one that was appointed as Herod was. Hence the reason why Herod was so uh, unnerved and ended up going to find the children there in Bethlehem in another story to take care of the heir to the throne. Now, the, the wise men, historically, we see three of them, as you do here on the, on the table. Uh, however, the scripture is not specific to say there were three uh, wise men. There could have been two, there could have been five, there could have been ten. What we do know is there were three specific kinds of gifts. And therefore, those three gifts have been attributed to one per person. And that's why we end up with three wise men. 
But not necessarily, Scripture doesn't say that we necessarily had three wise men. But for all intents and purposes, for our culture, and so we don't screw up every nativity scene that there is in this country, we're going to say there are three wise men. But specifically what these three wise men brought is what I want to focus on this morning. The gifts that they bought, that they brought. And there's extreme significance in this, in that one of the gifts, and we're going to go through all three of these, but one of the gifts that was brought was gold. And gold, gold was a gift for a king. Gold was a gift that was fit for a king. And whoever put the crown into the Christmas tree, thank you. Because I was looking for a prop. And I happened to find it. Gold was a gift for a king. Whenever someone in the ancient days would visit a king, they would never enter his presence without a, without a gift. And gold was, the, it was kind of the status quo for gifts for a king. We look back over history, we recognize that um, this was not just in for Jesus, but it happened throughout antiquity, throughout the history of, um, of the, the, the Israel nation. And one of the most significant gifts of gold to a king was by this young lady called the Queen of Sheba. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 10, we get a picture of this gift of gold that the Queen of Sheba comes and visits Solomon, King Solomon, David's son, when he is king, and gives him a gift. It says that she gave the king... Now, she came to visit Solomon because she wanted to hear of his wisdom. But she also wanted to honor the king, make sure that she stayed in, in, good, uh, in good relationship with him because somebody that's that wise and has God on his side, you don't want to be a neighboring nation on his bad side. So she comes to him and she brings him four and a half tons of gold and a great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again did such a quantity of spices arrive as the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. This treasury of gold. I couldn't imagine the poor horses and camels that had to travel with four and a half to 9,000 pounds of gold that she brought to King Solomon, all in his honor, to honor him as king. So now we start getting to see this picture that when the, when the magi come before Jesus, before a king, and they bring this gift of gold, what that signifies. And they had to have recognized that Herod knew and saw their presence, saw their gifts as they were heading to see Jesus. And he looks out and he sees, and I don't really think that, that, that the magi came with these little boxes of gold, a couple of gold pieces. I, I honestly think they came with an entourage of large amounts of gold. And they arrive at the house of Jesus and they hand this gold as a gift to a king. But one thing that we should recognize, the Magi were not Jews. The Magi did not believe. They did not honor the one true God. They were pagans. They were from foreign countries, foreign religions. So in a sense, the things that they were doing, God ordained, God was moving in this story, but they didn't recognize exactly what they were doing. 
they bring this gold and they set it before a king, a king born of the Jews. What they failed to realize was that Jesus wasn't just any king. Jesus wasn't just going to be the next son of David sitting on the throne. No, in fact, Jesus was a special kind of king. And there's a hint to the special kind of king that Jesus was in the same passage from Matthew. And let's go back there in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. This was in that, that, um, that narrative. When the chief priest, they quote, and this is from Micah 5, 2. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, like I said, Matthew quotes the prophet Micah. But what he does is he stops short of Micah's full quote. If you go to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and you read the last sentence in Micah's quote, he says, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah, but one will come from you to be ruler over Israel. His origin is from antiquity from ancient times. All of a sudden, this king now has a whole new meaning. A king that comes from antiquity, from ancient times. How many of you remember this sort of name for God called the Ancient of Days? This king, Jesus, His origin was from before the beginning. His origin was from ancient times. So this wasn't just a little boy king. This was a God king that Micah was speaking of. And even Isaiah, he also uh, justifies and says that a child will be in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 he says a child's going to be born to us a son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders he will be named wonderful counselor mighty God eternal father prince of peace see this was a special kind of king that they were presenting this gold to yes a king that was going to be king of the Jews but a king that had a dominion, that had a kingdom that was unfathomable by these mere human wise men. And if you are a king, where do you reside? Come on, this is not a trick question. A palace. All right. If you're a king, you reside in a palace. Where was Jesus born? In a stable. Yeah, that doesn't quite fit. But if you are a God king, if you are God, where do you reside in that time? In the temple. That's where your presence is, in the temple. We're going to pause for just a moment. We're going to take a step back to the place of residence of the one true God. Solomon King Solomon, who we just read, received this massive amount of gold from Queen of Sheba. He was the one that was tasked with building the temple for the one true God. 
Now, um, Solomon was, as you may recognize from history, is the wisest man that what there ever has been because, G, because God blessed him with wisdom. He was also the richest human being that there ever has been because God not only blessed Solomon with wisdom, because Solomon's request was so humble, God decided to bless him with riches that the likes of mankind has never seen before and again. And Solomon began to build this temple where God would reside, where God would, would, would leave the tabernacle that had traveled through the, the wilderness and the desert places when Israel was, was exiting out of Egypt. God was going to remove his presence to a permanent location of this temple there in Jerusalem. And Solomon begins to build this temple in about 966 B.C. It takes about seven years to build this temple. Now, unfortunately... Uh, just as God had prophesied through many of his prophets, that temple was destroyed when the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, when he came in and he destroyed the temple. And the temple that we mostly look at today, uh, whenever we see pictures of the temple, of the biblical temple, is not King Solomon's temple. That, that temple was destroyed, it was looted, it was plundered. What we see today was actually King Herod's temple. King Herod rebuilt the second temple. But here's the caveat. When Solomon temp Solomon's temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, God's presence before the destruction left the temple. God's presence ceremonially left the temple. And God's presence had not been back in the temple since, since 586 B.C. Even though the temple was rebuilt, even though sacrifices had been offered again in Herod's temple, God's presence had never been back in that second temple. When God's presence left that temple because of Israel's disobedience, He did not come back. But when He was in Solomon's temple... When he was in Solomon's temple, I want us to take a quick peek at what that temple looked like on the inside. What's the first thing you notice? Oh, a lot of gold. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 19 through 22 says that Solomon prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to put the Ark of the Lord's Covenant there. The interior of the sanctuary was 30 feet, 30 feet long, 30 feet wide by 30 feet high. He overlaid it with pure gold. He also overlaid the cedar altar with pure gold. Next, Solomon overlaid the interior of the temple with pure gold. And he hung gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. So he was added, uh, so he added the gold overlay to the entire temple until everything was completely finished, including the entire altar that belongs to the inner sanctuary. This wasn't just a building, this was a gold palace where God lived where he, his presence resided. 
In fact, 2 Chronicles chapter 3 goes into further detail and said, When Solomon made the most holy place, its length corresponded to the width of the temple, 30 feet, as its, as its width was also 30 feet. He overlaid it with 45,000 pounds of fine gold. Even the nails were gold, and they weighed 20 ounces themselves. He even overlaid the ceiling with gold. That is a lot of gold. And as I start to reflect on this gift that the wise men bring before Jesus, yeah, gold fit for a king, for an earthly king, but when I think of where God's presence had formerly been, and I think that if you're going to welcome a God king back into his temple, it might be a good idea to start with a little gold. So what's the point? What, what, what are we trying to get at with this gift? Well, first of all, we recognize that, that Jesus was recognized as a king by the gift of gold. He was brought the gold from foreign nations, from foreign religions. We recognize that Jesus in His, um, in his full salvific powers, in His full lordship, was Lord of all, of all kingdoms, of all people, of all mankind for all time. And when we see and we read of men coming from foreign places to worship this God King, we recognize that Scripture coming through true that all knees will bow and all tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. You see, His kingship, it wasn't any ordinary reign. It wasn't just the fact that Jesus was going to be born and brought up and sat on the throne in a palace. The God King, Jesus Christ, was going to reside back in a temple. But the temple didn't look like Solomon's temple. No, it's far more precious than that. You see, the gold, I believe, represents the, the beauty, the preciousness, the value of the human heart, of the human soul, the place where God now resides because of King Jesus. I want us to reflect on that that inner sanctuary that now God has His dwelling place. That as beautiful as that temple was that Solomon had built, had covered it with, with millions upon billions of dollars in gold. Each one of you, and myself included, are more precious than that. Each week, we come to remember, we come to remember that reign of Jesus Christ. We do that by doing something that Jesus asked each one of us to do. And it's something that 
we do each week here at Partnership to ensure, to ensure that we remember the king, not just any old king, not just one that needed a little gift of gold to make him king, but the one that, the one that conquered all, the one that conquered unrighteousness, the one that conquered sin, the one that conquered Satan and evil, to return to a temple, and not a temple in a building that could be destroyed again or that could be plundered and all the gold ripped out of it. But he came so that he could reside with you and I. And that residence, we remember whenever we take the Lord's Supper each week. If anyone doesn't have the bread and the cup, would you, would you let us know? We want to make sure that you have that this morning. You see, in a sense, this is a way that we recognize that, that, that Christ is, is in us. Now, as we, as we ingest the, the, the bread in the cup, we recognize that indwelling of Jesus Christ in us, his, his brokenness, his, his sacrifice has now become a part of, of our story, a part of our hearts. But at the same time, his glory also becomes a part of us. His, his forgiveness, his acceptance his hope, his purpose in life. The king that was born a baby grew up, allowed himself to be hung on a cross, to bear the sins, the iniquities of you and I. So that when he was buried, God had no reason to keep him in the grave. He had no price to pay of his own. He paid my price. He paid yours. And because God couldn't keep him in the grave, he had no reason to punish him. He rose him up again. And that king that was risen from the grave on that first Sunday that we call Easter or Resurrection Sunday, that same king still reigns today. And he offered himself to each one of us, not just in the flesh from then on, but in the spirit. And he said, for all those who believe and call me Lord, know that I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, that's good news. Yeah, we celebrate the birth of a, of a baby and we read the Christmas story and we recognize that God is with us now, but it truly means that not just God is with us, standing beside us, but God is with us. See, he's, he's with us. He's in us. And we're with him. Father, I pray that as we take this meal this morning, Lord, that we recognize and we remember the kingship of your son, Jesus Christ.
Not an ordinary kingship. Not one Lord that, that sat on a throne and, and had a specific earthly kingdom, but one that sat at the right hand of you, God, our Father, and has a kingdom that will never end, that resumed its, his rightful place in the temple. Not the temple built by human hands, but the temple built by God's own breath. Father, I pray that as we take this meal, that we offer up praise and worship for your Son, Jesus Christ, King of all, King forever, crowned King of glory. We thank you, Lord, that you give us the opportunity to remember him until he comes again. In Christ I pray. Amen. Let's eat together.